Welcome to Colonize the Ocean podcast, where we discuss oceanic colonization, exploration, and education with your hosts, Adam Jewell and Brendan Traxler. guys welcome back to another episode of colonize the ocean the podcast today we are joined by a very special guest she is carly jackson she works with the seasteading institute and she has worked with them for a while and also is the host of the seasteading institute podcast so carly thank you for joining us on today's episode thanks i'm happy to be here now did i get the name of the podcast right it's the seasteading institute podcast or the seasteading podcast it's seasteading today. Oh, dang it. I already messed up. <laughs> well, that's why we have you to, to, to correct us on all of this stuff. So <laughs> so, so right off the bat, um, before we get into the actual seasteading part, like, tell us about yourself and like, y- your background and how you came to, to be involved in the Seasteading Institute. Sure. So I came th- through it, the political route, as I think of it. I think some seasteaders come... To it, if you read uh, the seasteading book by my <clears throat> boss and the president of the seasteading institute, Joe Quirk, he wrote about uh, entrepreneurs who and scientists who came to seasteading through that route. So I kind of see these two uh, routes into seasteading. So I came came to it from the political side, where um, I was a libertarian for a long time. Um, I was a Ron Paul supporter and got involved working at the state level in Texas. I worked for a state legislature, legislator uh, for one session and worked for a few campaigns, uh, both Republicans and Libertarians at the state and local level, and became really disillusioned with that whole process. You know, my goal was to reduce the size and scope of government and reaching out to Voters, you know, I've done the block walking where you go walk in neighborhoods and try to convince people to vote your way. People just didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to engage. And frankly, I didn't either. I mean, it's boring, (laughs) you know, to talk about what's the what's the state government going to spend on all uh, on whatever budgetary issues. It's all very tedious and boring. And most people don't want to think about it. And it kind of just led me to the conclusion of, well, if this this whole apparatus is here and most of us don't feel we don't feel the real effects of it in our daily life although i think it does have a very powerful effect the actions of government definitely affect our daily lives but we don't have that immediate feeling of how it affects us and our daily decision making most people it doesn't relate to what the government is doing whether that's their school board that they're being taxed to pay for or their city government or their state government or the national government it just doesn't really resonate um, and so it seemed to me that, that that means that there's something wrong, that there needs to be, it would, it would be better to have a system where you feel connected to the decisions that you're making to improve your community and that they actually have a real effect and you get to see that effect. So I was, you know, looking for jobs outside of the political realm um, and learning about intentional communities. I've always been fascinated by sustainability issues. Like I remember learning about mushrooms that can clean up oil spills and just being fascinated by 
these sort of natural processes and, and um, you know, better ways of growing food and providing water and generating energy and, and being scientific about it, not being um, emotional about it, I guess. So those kind of coalesced into seasteading and I found myself at a conference called the Startup Societies Conference. Um, and Joe Quirk, my, now my boss, gave a presentation about a seasteading project in French Polynesia. And he's showing these pictures of white sand beaches and palm trees and clear blue water. And I was like, okay, I could go live there and be politically free and be able to work on a cool project, sign me up. Um, unfortunately, the, the French Polynesia project kind of um, lost a lot of momentum because of an election, but the seasteading concept is still, it's just, just the, so, just so very cool, first of all, but also, um, you know, working with people who really are, want to build something. You know, I spent so many years with people who talked and argued in the political realm, and now I get to work with people who don't spend a lot of time talking, they're building and, and testing and seeing what works in the real world. So did you th feel that uh, a lot of people that are getting into seasteading, uh, a lot of the followers of your guys' project, do you, do you feel they share the same type of ideologies where it's, it's more about like kind of a political freedom type situation or just a adventurous type endeavor that they can get behind? I think it's, it's, that seasteading brings together so many of those aspects, you know, people who become frustrated with whatever the status quo is. Um, and, and they see that it's not able to solve the problems of generating clean energy or providing food or restoring fish populations in the ocean. There are these huge problems that we get bombarded with and there's kind of a hopeless feeling about it that, that, what can I as an individual do about it? And they, when they learn about seasteading, it's this hopeful vision of there is technology, there are people who are actively working, and, and there's proof in the real world of, rest, like, of restoring fish, of restoring water to a clean state, um, and growing food and generating energy. Like I find that, that it just provides a solution and it's, it's a solution that is attainable. You know, when I think about the most um, popular solutions to climate change, it's, it's requiring a huge populations of people to, to fundamentally change their behavior. And that just seems unrealistic to me. It, but when you read the seasteading book and you learn about, folks who are just, you know, in their own areas, it's very localized, but it still sees real, real results when you grow a seaweed farm and have a closed loop system with bivalves and like different fish, you know, you, you can see that there are real effects and, and better effects. Um, and I think, I just think that that provides just a hope for people. So, I mean, I guess following up on that, the whole purpose, you know, of the, 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 this uh, podcast is to you know, cover all things ocean, uh, the futures, the, the exploration, stuff along those lines. So, uh, you know, I'm sure that the seasteading is a, such a large organization. Most people are, are familiar with it. But for those who aren't, can we dive a little bit in, more into, in, in your words, what the seasteading institute actually is in, in layman's terms, I guess? 
Sure. So we are a nonprofit organization focused on educating people about the idea of seasteading. Um, there are not as many people who know that word as we would like, but uh, my boss, Joe Quirk, has been with the Seasteading Institute for about seven or eight years. And when he came on, he, um, he came on as a communications director to really focus on uh, you know, having a, a good narrative to present to the public about what this is. And then he, he wrote the book, which I think just explains everything so well and so accessibly. And so that has been a huge success to, to increase the reach of seasteading, but it's still, it's still not nearly far enough. It's still a word that I have to explain to people and spell out for people. So that's kind of our mission is to uh, acclimate people to the idea of seasteading, going out, living in the ocean, living free, and living in homes that are environmentally restorative. Uh, we do that by producing videos, by producing our podcasts, traveling to conferences. We also work to connect people who want to actually build seasteads. So a big part of my job is, is reading through all the emails that we get from people who are excited about seasteading, want to do something about it. Um, unfortunately, at this at this stage, we are not big enough to employ all of the people who email us asking for a job, wanting to build seasteads. Um, but it's my hope that that the movement gets big enough where I could just have a jobs board and direct people to go actively work on seasteads when they're ready. So, so at this stage, it's identifying people who have the the drive and the ability to start seasteading companies and then connect them with people so that those companies can. Uh, learn from each other and thrive and build a network of, of people building seasteads. Yeah, I, I mean, for me, I know, like I say, I've been researching and in the, the ocean community of sorts for, for years, and it wasn't Peter Thiel's how I found out it's about you guys. Um, and then <clears throat> watching YouTube videos back with the French Polynesia um, conferences and stuff like that, and that's was those two uh, catalysts that really opened my eyes to the seasteading and what you guys were doing. And since then, obviously, I've been following pretty close with your podcasts and books and stuff along those lines. But um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure how many people do actually know about you, even though, you know, looking at your, your Facebook page or, or Joe Quirk and his uh, evangelistic aspect of, of getting out there and talking to people. Um, it's still this hidden secret, I guess you could say. Right. It's a, it's a question that I constantly think about of, you know, we're, we're in these bubbles, right? We're in our little cultural bubbles and how do you branch out of it? Um, luckily with seasteading, when people get it, they really get it and get really excited about it. So mm -hmm. um, that's, that makes my job a little bit easier. Then, then my challenge is, okay, how do I keep this person active and give them something to do <laughs> so that they can continue to devote their energy uh, to seasteading and not, you know, for lack of action on our end, get bored and then go and, and put their, their valuable time and energy to something else. You know, it's a matter of, of let's stay excited, let's stay working, let's make progress. It's we don't have a, a big project to put people to work on. We don't have, and I don't see that happening because fundamentally with seasteading, it's you can choose the community and you can be, you can pick and choose what kind of governance structure, what kind of seastead you want. So when people come to us and they're like, how do I build a seastead? Um, there's no answer to that because we want people to, 
to develop a, a huge approach, many different approaches to solving the same problems, because the whole point is to see what works and what doesn't work. And what works in one situation may not work in another situation. And so we want to have um, lots of different options. We want to encourage people to seek out the option that they think will work best. Um, th that's, I think it's a foreign idea for a lot of people that, oh, you get to choose, right? We're so used to being told, here's the pathway, here's the paperwork, here's the approval you need to get, and then, then here are your instructions and get it done. And so, but we want to encourage people to find their own, their own solutions and their own pathways and then celebrate when, when they have successes. <clears throat> kind of on that point, you know, you look at, you know, they say, you know, all news is good news. The whole Chad Nadia situation, that was kind of a touted to be, you know, the, the very first C-setters and stuff along those lines, but we know that didn't go over as planned. But with that that news that got out there in the public, have you seen more people coming to the C-set because of that news? Yes. So it's still not clear at this point if all of that was good attention, but yes, we got a lot of attention from yeah. that. I believe our website visits went up 3000% wow. in, in, in a couple of weeks and our videos about Chad and Nadia on our YouTube channel have reached half a million views, which is more than any of our other videos. But, but I think, I think on the whole, it has been good attention that most people who have contacted us in, in regards to that have been like, well, this is a fascinating idea. I want to learn more. Um, you know, it also was Chad and Nadia and Ocean Builders chose a specific method. They wanted to prove the technology of building a single family affordable seastead. You may, if you visit our website, you'll see lots of uh, digitized drawings of, and we have videos of these beautiful, huge modular floating cities. Um, and they wanted to go a different route. They wanted to start small and just start with one affordable seastead and they chose a spot in the Andaman Sea because that's where the founders of Ocean Builders had lived for the last few decades. Um, and they knew that the Andaman Sea had low waves and good weather year round, and it was a good place to test a prototype. So that's what they did. And my understanding from, from Chad is that, you know, they, they asked around about if there was necessary permits or whatever, and they didn't, they didn't get any responses of, yes, you need a permit or yes, you need permission. So with the Thai Navy determining that, that it was a threat and then um, seizing the seastead, that came as a surprise. Even more of a surprise was then the Thai Navy wanted Chad and Nadia to be charged with threatening the sovereignty of Thailand, um, which has a penalty of life in prison or execution. And, you know, that... I mean, it's one thing to say that there's this structure, this unknown structure in the water, and the Navy has to determine whether or not it's a dangerous um, piece of detritus or, or if it's actually a safe piece of equipment. You know, they need to make sure that that stuff isn't floating around in the water that's going to harm other boats. It's another thing to charge someone with life imprisonment or death. Right. Um, so... But that is a legal issue that has to work through the courts. There's no, there's no law written about seasteading as far as I know. Um, there's no law saying that seasteading is a crime. And so that's a question that if, if you wanted to take it to court, first of all, where do you find a court that will deal with this issue? You know, it's, it's very gray area or it's very unknown area. And we're trying to navigate that and understand that 
people always are asking us, what's happened with them? What's going on with them? And there's just so much we can't say because we just don't know about the legal process with Thailand and with this being such a, a new area of, of legality, or I'm not even sure if that, if that's the right word. And that's one of the things like we've kind of, um, Brennan and I talk a lot about cause, uh, and it is what we'll learn through this. <clears throat> sorry. Is what we'll learn through this interview and discussion that we're having is that, uh, the seasteading group and, the I guess, what you want to call us, Brendan, the underwater colonizers, whatever, like we kind of face the same challenges that not only in the aspect of legalities and um, just engineering and how we, how we do it in an eco-friendly manner, but there's so much gray area in what we're, our endeavors are. And kind of, kind of tagging onto that, when you talk with people about seasteading or when they talk to you, do you guys get kind of the same feedback a lot of times that, that we do in the sense that, well, why do you want to do that? Humanity right now is working on like moving to Mars or moving to the moon and setting up colonies and setting up habitats there. Like what, what would be your, your, uh, I guess, argument or, or persuasion to say that this would be a, better better endeavor to go into yeah i don't know well first of all developing seaside technology like growing cultivating food on the water and generating energy a lot of those t technologies that need to be developed to make it possible they're very similar with technologies needed to travel to space um and there there is interest we, you know we've We've been to a couple of space conferences. We're gonna participate in another one. Um, Ocean Builders was founded by uh, a, an engineer. I'm forgetting the specific term, but he, wanted to, he wants to develop seasteads because he wants to develop um, rockets and, and launching them from a seastead in the middle of the ocean seemed like a very good idea. And so that's how we got interested in seasteading in the first place. So it's not that there's a strict competition they're very much in line and we kind of were joking around with with a tagline of saying oceans first space second you know <laughs> because you need to develop the technology to live on the ocean and then that's a stepping stone to developing technology to live in space um, and the other thing uh, you know seasteading is better uh, that goes back to my kind of um, diversified approach it's not better for everyone. I can't, uh, you know, I'm not, I don't want to convince, that's why I left politics, right? In politics, you have to convince 51% of the people that, that your candidate is the best or voting one, one way is the best. And here's why. And it's so frustrating because um, I, I hated that because I had to communicate a disrespect for people to make their own decisions in order to support my candidates. Well, with seasteading, what I, what I love about it is we can choose to make our decisions about where we want to live and how we want to live, or at least that's the goal, the long-term goal, is that each of us can choose to pick our, our community, pick our neighborhood. If we decide that we need something different, then you can detach your home and move to another community. So it's that freedom of choice, that, that flexibility, that dynamism, because people need different things at different points in their life, and having the a society that has the flexibility to let people react to those things or choose a different path 
that's what's attractive to me. So, um, so I guess to my, my response of, you know, it's not hurting you. Why not just let Seasteaders do it? <laughs> sort of my <laughs> response. If people are critical of us, it's like, well, you don't have to do it. No one's asking you to live in a tiny home in the middle of the water, in the middle of nowhere, but we want to do it. So why, why it's, it's astounding to me. Sometimes people respond with anger that, or, you know, and I'm, I'm like, why are you mad? We're, <laughs> like, we're not hurting you, you know? <laughs> yeah. We've, like I said, we've, uh, kind of had some of those conversations the same same style of conversations with uh, people and i'm glad that you kind of made the comment about space exploration and space space technologies as well as like aquatic technologies going hand in hand because that's been kind of one of our our big things and before i came on and started helping brendan out that that was one of the questions you know i kind of had for him is like no one's gonna want to go about this you know they're, everyone's more focused on space and his response was much similar to yours that the this has gone hand in hand for a while and then in, in our first episode we kind of talked about how a lot of the original underwater habitats or you know underwater exploration was was done for the sake of you know the space missions and stuff so so it's kind of a how it's kind of cool seeing how you guys are seeing a lot of the same things that we are Another adversity that we kind of face when it comes to um, growing the community with colonizing the ocean, it, and I want to know if you guys kind of deal with the same thing, is that when we've gone to people trying to explain, you know, our goal of putting, you know, small homes, small habitats under underwater, that the immediate feedback by some people is, well, that's just destroying the ocean. You're going to destroy the ecosystem. You're going to ruin everything. You're not going to help anything. Have you had kind of that same challenge to people when you explain seasteading? That, that was actually my first response when I first learned about seasteading. But then I read the seasteading book and learned, I mean, yes, there are ways to colonize the ocean that would further damage the ocean. But all of the seasteaders featured in the seasteading book they got involved because they wanted to uh, improve the quality of the ocean. They wanted to improve um, the, the diversity and health of fish in the sea. And um, and it's, it's interesting to think about, I haven't really wrapped my head around the idea of how fundamentally different a, a civilization on water will be from civilization on land. You know, um, because when you put something in the water, it becomes a fish aggregation device. It's a new term I used <laughs> or I learned recently. It sounds professional. <laughs> yeah, the fish aggregation device or FAD, um, you put something in the water and fish are attracted to it. And if you can put something in the water where, well, one of the coolest things I saw was this huge art installation of um, very like tendrils of this metallic, uh, shape. It looked kind of like seaweed, but it was, it was a metal art installation. And the point of it was that it could be electrified, which allows calcium to build, which once you get enough calcium built on that, that piece of metal, then coral can grow on it. So finding ways to build things that actually encourage life and increase life in the ocean. One of our favorite phrases is that the ocean is a desert because when the water gets uh, deep enough, most of the materials needed to generate life sink below the surface, 
and aren't close enough to, this, to, to where there's light to have photosynthesis. So when you put a platform in that area and you, you bring up some of the materials that generate photosynthesis, now you're creating life. And you're creating, if you cultivate the right kind of seaweeds, you're creating the life that is actually removing toxins from the water and turning them into things that can be food for humans, feed for animals, or fuel. Then you can grow fish populations. Um, then, you, I mean, you can, your home can be a source of life for all kinds of wildlife out in the ocean. So, yeah, that's a, that was a major intellectual hurdle. I'm not sure how to get that point across quickly. <laughs> you know, it took a long time to get that point. But, um, but, but yeah, we get some pushback on that. And uh, that's why, you know, I wanted to restart the Seasteading Today podcast to uh, have these conversations with, um, you know, Neil Anthony Sims, who developed a floating fish farm. And it's, it's, all of these questions get a lot trickier as soon as you start asking a little, just a few questions like fish farming is a controversial topic. So yes, if you do it a certain way where you, you keep all of the fish in one area where all of their waste gets dropped into one area and you have to give them food and maybe that food is, isn't keeping them as healthy. That's probably not the best way to, to grow a fish farm. But Neil Anthony Sims developed a floating fish cage that allows the fish to swim around so that their waste isn't being collected in one area. So it can be, um, I guess, processed is the best word by other organisms in the water. The fish are healthier because they're not stuck in one little area. You know, they're less prone to parasites and diseases. So that means you don't have to give them as much medication and um, they're getting exercise you know like he figured out this way to, to to grow fish so that he's providing food for people but it also is better for the environment and these his fish cages actually um, they are fish aggregation devices so he has his uh, what is cultivated fish in the farm but then wild fish will be attracted to it and then um, you know it, it it helps the, the wild fish populations as well. Again, I took a very long time to explain that. So I don't, I don't no, know, that's, I that's... work on getting that across to people that like, no, it's actually gonna be better for the environment. We don't have to repeat the same mistakes in the ocean that we made on land. Everything about exploration and regardless of what kind of exploration or what kind of technologies you're trying to, trying to get better at, you have to be able to learn from what doesn't work and be able to continue just because something doesn't work right away doesn't mean it's a failure and catastrophic and, and uh, go down that road with it. So yeah, I, it's uh, I think it was the perfect response to that kind of question. And we're probably going to steal that from when people <laughs> ask us that question. <laughs> right. Well, so, and it gets even more complicated because the laws and regulations that govern business and settlement put in these barriers. So if I can plug my podcast yet again, <laughs> my interview with Karina Chapieska of Blue 21, she talks about they built this floating pavilion in Rotterdam, and it was really a test case, um, not just to develop the technology and, and you know water systems and energy systems of building their floating pavilion. It also was testing the permitting process in the area, right? And so she told me, I was really excited by this story. 
they had built this building, a floating building that for one client and then the client was done with it and they wanted to sell it to someone else and float it to another, another area um, and sell it to the next business that was going to use the same building. So first of all, <clears throat> you're not demolishing the building. You don't have to demolish the building. I mean, think of how wasteful it is to have to demolish an entire building just because you want to, because your original client no longer needs it, right? So I think that's an amazing um, shift in thinking that you don't have to demolish a building. But the laws in the city weren't in place for that. So, so they couldn't, there was no permit for moving a floating city to a new, or a floating building to a new location. They only had permits for demolishing and rebuilding. And so they kind of had to navigate that legal structure and, you know, as a libertarian, I get frustrated with those processes because I feel like they're just slowing people down. You know, I, I'd like to, like, I understand that for the most part, for most people, having established processes in place is an efficiency, but I'd like to see room in our legal systems for innovators like, like Blue 21, where if someone wants to do something different, like floating their building to a new location, it's not an automatic, no, you can't. And then you have to spend all this time convincing regulators that no, really, it's okay to do it this way. Like, you know, there's this, there's the weird institutional, uh, what's, what would be the word? Uh, it's just a huge barrier. And it seems like such a waste. On that point, I mean, I think that's, it's one of those things where, it's common sense. And I think that a lot of this, you know, with the sea setting and stuff like that, when, you, when you're explaining it and when the people who get it, it's, it's a common sense. It's like, why hasn't this happened and why aren't we doing this now? And to that point, I guess the, the, the question is, realistically, how soon do you see that there are people living in seasteads? Well, that depends a lot on ocean builders because they are working on their version two in a new location. So, um, I, I believe that they will get a new prototype out in the next year or so. There's another company called Ventive Float House, and I, I think that they are making progress in building their prototype um, in California. So it's just a matter of, of those folks and how quickly they can get their, their work done and then selling it to other people and growing their communities. Part of, part of it is relying on um, government agencies. So uh, Joe has been working in different governments to try and get a special economic zone designated for seasteads, um, which would allow us to, well, it would allow seasteading businesses, not necessarily the Seasteading Institute, let me be clear about that, but it would allow seasteading businesses to build platforms and basically bypass some of those regulations that are directed towards land industry, right? So we need that, that freedom to build and innovate seasteads. So, it's, so Joe has worked with different governments to try and get that uh, legislation complete. And have you guys found that there are certain governments that are much more friendly to this ideology than others? Uh, yes, although I can't, I don't really have as much experience with that. So I'm not sure I can sure. speak that directly you know, it seems to, but what I have observed is that there are individuals within the government who are excited about it, and then there are individuals that you have to convince, and it just, it's just a matter of how those internal discussions go. So we, you know, we have to be patient and rely 
on um, on on our allies to, yeah. to make the arguments for us. Uh, one thing you, you're talking about ocean builders. We've talked about them several different times, um, and because they're obviously had the some of the most beautiful designs you know out there right now, and have actually made some headways. Is there any other uh, businesses or sea setting businesses that we should be looking out for? Well, definitely the Ventive Float House. Um, on Hand Agrarian is based in Singapore, uh, and then Blue Frontiers. They they that was the company that was working in French Polynesia. Um, they're working with other governments to try and um, launch a seastead in, in other places because French Polynesia is done now. Um, I would also say, you know, watch Blue 21 in the Netherlands. I know that they have this big collaborative project called Space at Sea. They're working with universities and other um, government agencies to look at building floating architecture to handle rising sea levels and population. Uh, and then the the Valella project by Neil Anthony Sims is they're working in I believe they're going to launch a project in Florida next year, and part of that project is to work through the permitting project and uh, pro work through the permitting process to make it clear for other folks who want to cultivate seaweed or fish farms in the Gulf Coast. So. Oh, sorry. There's another project. <laughs> so, there's another project in New Orleans or Louisiana, really, to to try and work on the le level of uh, erosion along the Mississippi and develop some seasetting type technology um, in Louisiana. And you can imagine in Louisiana, that's a place that could really benefit from floating architecture, right? So I think that's called Deep Blue Institute. It's a new nonprofit getting started up. So I'm excited to see what they do. Brendan, that's Very only cool. like a hop, skip, and jump away for you. You could go it over is. there and volunteer and help. I'll, you go check them out. <laughs> With people that are interested in this kind of, I guess, endeavor, what would you say is one thing everybody could kind of do to help out and bring – you know, make seasteading a, a reality. Like what can an average Joe do to help out the seasteading Institute? Hmm. Well, talking about seasteading is a good start. Buying seaweed <laughs> products is a good start. We have some volunteers working on a seaweed cooking show. Uh, so we'll, I hope to have a few cooking seaweed cooking shows on our YouTube channel soon. You know, that's Ricardo Radulovich talked about, supporting the seasteading industries and seaweed is is the big one it's getting really popular now so it's easy to go out and find products with seaweed in it you know talking about seasteading at this point if you live in a country and if you have contacts in government you know that that goes really that goes a long way to building a relationship where you can start talking about having a special economic zone um, if you are uh, an engineer or a software engineer I can put you in touch with projects. I'm working on, on developing a network of, of engineers who can work remotely to test uh, different kinds of, of prototypes like a wave generator or um, a, a closed loop farm that has a lot of automation. You know, I've, I'm working on a partnership to, to be able to connect people around the world who want to work on those kinds of projects and develop companies from developing those projects. So 
Um, it, it really depends on your skill set. Um, and I'm ha if you email me at info at seasteading.org, I will give you specific direction related to your specific interests and skills. But yeah, I, re I really believe in putting people to work on things that they can really make an impact on. So try to do that as much as I can. Would you give us an idea about your, your podcast and tell us what that's about? So it's called Seasteading Today. And the goal is to talk about what seasoning projects are actually happening right now. You know, it's, we do have these very beautiful visions of future floating cities, but I wanted to make it clear to people that this is happening right now. There's stuff happening. It's not a, it's not pie in the sky. It's not fiction. It's not daydreaming. There are people actively working on this stuff right now and they're really cool, interesting people. So my job is to interview them and uh, talk about what, what they're actually doing at right right now it's really happening <laughs> so how can people you know get a hold of you and you got other any other links or sites or books or videos that you'd like to to plug and have um our our listeners check out sure so our website is seasteading.org you can find most of this on our website um there's the seasteading book which is great i mean it's just lays everything out uh, for you know, what, what is, what the potential is for seasteading. Our podcast is seasteading today. We're on Spotify and Stitcher and Apple podcasts. Um, our, uh, we are also on social media. So uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, um, we just, I just created a Pinterest page. So if you want to share images of of beautiful things related to seasteading, please go to a Pinterest. Um, yeah, and you can email info at seasteading.org and I see and respond to everything that I possibly can. Um, our YouTube channel, we're really proud of our 20 questions, or sorry, our tough questions about seasteading. So we're, we're constantly making new videos about that and I hope to have one about Waterworld released this week. Um, because that's a common question is sea setting just water world. Um, so we've been, we made a video about that. Uh, and yeah, I guess whereas everywhere we can be, you can contact me and I'll try to put you in touch with other folks in your area who are working on sea setting. I'm trying to get meetup groups going around the world. So we have a meetup in London cause Joe is traveling to London. We have meetups in San Francisco. There's one today in Houston. So um, trying to get people to, together to talk about seasteading and share what their goals are and what their ideas are in person, face-to-face, because -face, I think that's extremely valuable. Carly, thanks for, for making time to come on our podcast and tell us about the Seasteading Institute and everything that uh, that entails. And I hope that... Uh, you know, in the future, we can rendezvous again and talk more about the, the progress that the Seasteading Institute is making. So once again, thank you. Brendan, do you want to say thank you, too? <laughs> uh, thank you. I do appreciate your time. I thank you for coming on. Well, thank you for your support. I see, I see you guys commenting on social media, so I appreciate that. And uh, thanks for having me. And I look forward to hearing all your podcasts when they come out. 
Once again, that was Carly Jackson with the Seasteading Institute and the Seasteading Today podcast. We'd like to thank her for her time and coming on and talking to us about everything that involves seasteading. So make sure to check her out at seasteading.org and uh, on many different social media platforms that she talked about. As well for us, you can check us out at colonizetheocean.com. You can check us out at atlantisseacolony.com or any of our social medias is Atlantis Sea Colony. Thanks again, guys, and I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you.